This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. This is a Double Tap Canada special on AMI-audio, coming to you from CES 2020, the world's largest technology event held in Las Vegas. Let's join Double Tap Stephen Scott on the exhibition floor. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Double Tap Canada. Yes, it is I, Stephen Scott, here with you once again from the exhibition floor at CES, the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas for 2020, uh, here in the wonderful state of Nevada. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm actually saying that only for the sake of Sean, who doesn't understand geography at all. True. Uh, so, you know, just for you, Sean <laughs> Priest, I'm just saying that. Hello, Sean. Hello. I love it when you say you're on the floor, because that's often where I see you. Hello, Stephen. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Well, you're right. I am actually on the floor. I am literally <laughs> sitting on the floor at CES. You see, that's the, th- that's the difference between television and radio. Radio, you sit on a floor next to the bins. <laughs> Uh, on television, you get a fancy set to sit on. Um, so, yeah. Can you tell I'm more looking forward to the TV show later? Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> Tim Schwartz is also here from lifeafterblindness.com. Hello. Hello, Stephen. Hello, Sean. Yeah, I, I, I can imagine you just sitting there on the floor, lounging on the on the floor of CES. Lounging. Yeah. Trip hazard, Stephen. They should put cones around you as a as a hazard. I, I'm literally <laughs> standing next to a bin. That is, I'm actually, okay, I'll tell you what I'm standing next to. I'm standing next to a bin, and I'm also standing next to a sign that says restrooms. That tells you where my life is right now. <laughs> tells me your priorities. <laughs> well, well, that's right. It's like one, one for the food and one for the... Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, moving on, uh, we've got lots to talk about. <laughs> lots to talk about this hour because, of course, we're here at the uh, CES exhibition, which is fantastic. The one we're in at the moment is in the Las Vegas uh, Exhibition Centre. Do you know the one thing about this place that is absolutely staggering is the, is the sheer size and scale? And I've got to say, for a blind guy, uh, and I'm very lucky to have someone with me here who's uh, essentially being my eyes and uh, sometimes ears uh, at the event as well, because I, I don't think you could do this on your own as a blind person. I mean, it's, it's doable in the sense you could come along and perhaps visit one exhibition hall, but it is absolutely massive. And we're talking about hotels that are perhaps maybe 10, 15-minute car ride apart. And then, of course, you've got to walk. And yes, Sean, you have to walk everywhere. Terrible. Um, I cannot believe the amount of steps I've done. Yeah, forget uh, it. Sean's out. Day one, ten, day one, 10,000 steps. Day two, 15,000 steps. Uh, today, eating pastries on the floor day. Uh, so not many steps there. <laughs> but uh, I'm happy. That's all that matters. And then day four, Stephen, your outline traced on the floor there after you've passed out. Yeah, exactly. That's right. My, my memory will always be somewhere. This is where he lay um, and died. Um, but yes, look, uh, let, before we get into death, because we are going to talk about food later and how it will kill us all, um, we've got some amazing new technology we're going to be talking about. Nice. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, it is. I mean, I'll be honest, especially the food that we're going to be talking about, although some of it is all about helping the environment, uh, which is good news for the planet and uh, bad news for my waistline. So we're going to talk about all of that, but uh, I want to just sort of talk about one particular company who are actually on show here at CES for the first time in a long time, in fact, uh, and that is Apple. Yes, Apple are here at CES. Uh, <gasps> it's a bit low-key, if I'm honest. Uh, it's not. I, I kind of thought we'd, we'd be... 
you know, expecting big announcements or maybe, well, maybe not announcements so much, but certainly something from them. But they're kind of just hidden out the way. They're just doing what they do. And, um, you know, and, and the key focus of them being here is to talk about privacy and really sh- showcase the, the work they're doing to keep our data safe. So obviously a very worthy purpose of being here. But what was most interesting was um, it wasn't so much the fact they're here, although that is good news, but actually more about when they were last here. So they were here in 1992. That was the last time that Apple ever arrived at, or came to CES. And um, what I was looking back at this morning uh, before we did the show was uh, what tech was on show at that time back in 1992. Um, and you might, I, I want you guys to sort of just think back, if you can, to that year and think of what kind of tech might have been on show at CES, just, just to get your thoughts on this. I'm th- I know I'm throwing this at you cold, but I just, I'm intrigued to know your thoughts on this. Think back, 1992, what do you think was on show that was the big thing back then? Let's see, a 33K baud modem. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> a 14-inch a computer monitor. CRT, maybe I, I don't even know. And do you mean what uh, what Apple was showing in '92? Because that would be interesting. I couldn't even Wait think. Yeah, I'm saying uh, the latest in dot matrix printing. Not in '92. Gosh, yeah, you're we were further forward than that when it came to printing. But um, no, you're absolutely right in the sense you that you may have been more advanced. Yeah, well, nothing wrong with dot matrix. At least it always worked. Um, but I will say this: that the, the television side of things, it wasn't so much monitors and computers, although they were probably on show. But the key thing was televisions. They were rising in popularity, and yes, it was uh, not just big TVs. Although we were talking up to maybe twenty inches uh, television at that time so that wasn't very big and of course they weren't widescreen at that time um, but what we did see was one of the world's most portable televisions from Philips wow uh, it was just a little sort of four oh, inch yeah. screen uh, almost like if you if you remember the Game Boy uh, they had a TV version oh, yeah. of that essentially and you had a little aerial that pulled up on the side and they were showcasing that at uh, CES yeah, yeah. But you asked the question there, Sean, about uh, Apple and what they were launching or what they announced at CES. And, yeah, that was a very intriguing question as well. The answer to that was uh, the Newton message pad. Do you remember that? Oh, my gosh. Yes. A lot of people actually still, um, I think it's nostalgia, but they still look back, look back on that fondly. But, yeah, when you compare it to what we've got today, but it's the same with any technology, I think, when you do that. Yeah, I mean, the thing about the message pad, I don't remember the message pad coming out. When I was at school, I was probably at school as it was launched. Uh, so, you know, I was early in my sort of high school years, and it was, um, I think, at 94, 95, I first saw the Newton message pad. And I remember thinking, wow, this is amazing. And the, the, the teacher in our school, one of our teachers in the school, was absolutely technology-obsessed and loved Apple products. So whenever a new Apple product came out, all of his wages would be spent on the latest product. And it was really, really interesting to, to see the Newton message pad. But it, it didn't sell very well. It wasn't very popular. Um, I'm trying to remember the guy's name. Who was it that was running Apple at the time? It was a, I want to say Scully, John Scully. Right. Uh, and... Uh, John really wanted to sort of make his mark on Apple at that time, and uh, this was the product he was going to use. Uh, it didn't sell very well, and when Steve Jobs came back, he cancelled the Newton project completely. Um, but I, I thought it was a really interesting product because I do remember it, and a lot of people said that was that was the thing that was closest to what became the iPhone. Um, it was like almost stage one or version one, a prototype of the iPhone. Uh, not quite right first time round, but they certainly got it right 
with the iPhone. Uh, so yeah, a bit of nostalgia for you there, but I just thought that was really interesting. In 1992, Apple were there, uh, or here, at CES, and um, yeah, really interesting stuff. So I want to talk more about some of the other technology that's on show here, because goodness me, there is so much technology on show at CES, it is so hard to, to keep up with. Um, and one thing we're seeing is a lot of smart technology in the home. Uh, so, you know, lots of new devices, and we've, we've been seeing this for a long time, smart cameras, even in the home, uh, ring doorbells. Uh, I mean, I say ring doorbell, there's many other companies doing them, but you get these accessible doorbells, if you like, or, you know, video doorbells that can make it easier for us to know who's at the front door. The Nest version uh, even will tell you when someone walks up to the door using facial recognition that it will tell you your mum's at the door. These are just amazing features that are built into these products. So, you know, it's really interesting to, to see all of this new tech come out and develop and get even smarter. But there's one area, guys, where I think technology hasn't quite got very smart yet. And I've got to be aware that this is a family show, but... Oh, no. It's never stopped us before. I'm not sure I like where this is going. Make it sound like it's our fault. <laughs> well, um, I think one area is the bedroom. Mm-hmm. Yes, the bedroom has not seen much smart action. Certainly not in my house. Oh, dear. oh wow. Get ready to cut him off, someone. Ooh. Pardon? <laughs> did, I, did I say this was my last show? Uh, no. Um, but honestly, uh, the, the technology in the bedroom has never really changed very much, if you think about it, because, you know, what have you got in there? You've got maybe, okay, you could put in a smart bulb, you could put in a, an Amazon Echo, you could put in the uh, smart uh, Alexa... What do you call it? This, the smart Echo Dot with the Alexa clock built in on the front? Okay, so there you go. Wow, there's your bedroom smart. That's not very much. But you can now get smart beds. Uh, and, and why are they smart? Yeah, what makes them smart, Steve? Yeah, well, I shall tell you. Uh, they're smart because uh, they have the capability to uh, regulate temperature. Uh, change how you lie in bed. How you change position in bed. So... We've seen these beds before, right? I mean, some case, some ways we've seen this before in what I would call mobility technology. And interestingly, under accessibility, this would certainly uh, very much be a, a, an area of interest for a lot of people. Because if you think back to the... I don't know how, what these would be called in where you are, Tim, but, you know, I've, I've seen these beds before where they kind of rise up at the top and it helps you sit up in bed to help you get out of bed or perhaps the feet lift up because perhaps yep. you struggle to, to lie in bed so your feet can, can be risen up a bit. Um, so we've seen that technology for a while and it's usually held, it's all, all operated by a big yep, massive We actually have control. one of those. You've got one of those, right, okay. So you've got that kind of tech in your house but it's got that big remote on the side, hasn't it? The big one you use the up and down, the left and right. That's correct, yep. So with that in mind, um, what they've done is they've taken this and they've turned all this technology into an app so you can use an app to control the movement of the bed, but you can also control the temperature of the bed. Uh, and that's why I thought, you know, I know you two love your bed and you love lying down and sleeping. So I thought we should find out more about smart beds. Uh, so we're going to hear now Let's about the climate. The <laughs> so throwing you under the bed, yeah. Um, so we're going to hear Separately, more about the. Yeah, all right, all right. Uh, well, we're going to hear more uh, about this uh, from uh, one particular company that are showcasing smart beds. This is the uh, Climate Three Hundred and Sixty bed from the company Sleep Number, and uh, with me now to talk about this is uh, Michael Wu uh, from the company here to tell us uh, what this uh, what this bed is. Now we're actually looking at this bed right now, Michael. I am completely confused. What is this thing? 
Sure. I'm super excited about this new product. The Climate 360 Smart Bed is the first ever smart bed that uses advanced temperature technology to create a microclimate um, on both sides of the bed. So for both you and your partner, can sleep at different temperatures. And what's important about a microclimate, think about the microclimate as the climate in between the sheets and the mattress. And that temperature is uh, conducive to helping you fall asleep faster and to stay in restful sleep longer. And the sleep science shows that when you fall asleep, it's actually better for the bed to be a little bit warmer. And that promotes you to fall asleep faster. And the same, same science shows that once you're asleep, it's actually better for the bed to be a little bit cooler. And that helps promote you staying in restful sleep as long as possible. And then when it's time to wake up, it's better for the bed to be warmer again. So the Climate 360 bed has smart routines that adjust to your sleep cycles. So as you fall asleep, the bed's warm. And as you are asleep, the bed cools, keeping you in that restful sleep. And then when it's time to wake up, the bed will warm up again. So it's, it's phenomenal technology that we've built into the bed. A lot of people might not think about smart beds yeah. uh, when they think about technology. Uh, but you've obviously put some, some smart tech in here, which is yeah. incredible. Uh, you say that it's, and I noticed, for example, that on one side of the bed, uh, it, it's sort of up and the other side is down. So you can change position as well if you want. Yeah, so what's great about all of our beds that we sell uh, with the Sleep Number 360 Smart Beds is we have our FlexFit technology, which is our FlexFit foundation. And what the FlexFit allows you to do is to adjust, uh, the, articulate both the head area as well as our FlexFit 2 and 3 is allow you to uh, adjust the foot area. So what benefits that is your partner may want to be maybe reading a book uh, before you know, she falls asleep. You may want to go to bed. So she can actually articulate the bed as you fall asleep or vice versa. Wow, incredible. So uh, is this something that is out or is it coming out? Hmm. So the Climate 360 smart bed uh, is going to be available in 2021. Um, I highly recommend you walk over there and actually ex experience the uh, technology firsthand. Um, but the I'm, always, I'm always keen on lying down. Yes, Exactly. Um, if you walk over to the other side of our booth, you'll see the Advanced 360 Smart Bed. That is live already today. It doesn't have the active temperature um, uh, functionality. It's more passive. But our Advanced 360 Smart Bed is a phenomenal bed. Um, it's, we've, we've won so many awards with it so far, and uh, it's highly, highly successful. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Of course. Welcome. So there you go, guys. Smart beds. You want one of those? <laughs> I'm interested in the climate between my sheets. Yes, I, I, actually, you know what? That does sound cool. For the amount of times that I'm turning my pillow over to get that cool side, yeah, I totally get that. I'm always interested in the climate between my sheets. But anyway, um, no, this sounds fantastic, especially if you, know, you are sharing a bed with somebody and maybe they want a cooler side, you want a warmer side or vice versa, or just you know all one temperature. I, I do like the idea of this added to the other adjustment uh, you know, properties of, of these beds. So, yeah, no, this is really kind of cool. Yeah, I've got to say, it's interesting technology. I, I've got something very similar to this at home. I've got a water bed at home, believe it or not. Uh, my wife and I bought this thing. It was her idea. Ooh. Yes. Uh, well, you know, it's, 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 it's been safe to say that, you know, uh, we've got the water Steady. bed, and then a couple of years later we started drifting apart. Hey! <laughs> no, actually, I like that one. That was quite good. Well done. Uh, bad idea. Bad joke. But anyway, uh, the point is, 
that you know this the, the bed I've got is really good because it has the ability to control temperature. You can control the temperature on each side of the bed as well, uh, but you can't control movement and you certainly can't control the climate. That's the key point about these smart beds. What makes it smart versus just being able to control temperature is the fact that it regulates the temperature for you. We've all woke, we've all gone to bed at night and wished it was warm, but then woken up in the morning <laughs> wished it was cooler. Yeah. So you know, having the ability to control that temperature between your sheets it sounds rather nice. Yeah, really so yeah, like I love it. Um, now look, let's uh, let's move away from uh, smart beds uh, and actually smart home, and let's talk more about uh, the accessibility side of things because. Um, we're very lucky here to, uh, one of our producers noticed uh, a, a blind person walking through CES. And of course, as you do, uh, as, uh, you know, blind tech journalists, <laughs> you want to talk to every blind person you can find. So um, Sassy is uh, with me now, and uh, we're going to talk more uh, with you about why you're here. So Sassy, maybe you should uh, introduce yourself to the folks. Hi, my name is Sassy Outwater-Wright. I am the executive director of the Massachusetts Association for the Blind and Visually Impaired, or MABV. And I'm also the founder and CEO of Accessible, which is a company that specializes in health and wellness, fashion, body image for people to marginalize genders who are disabled. And we do also a lot of uh, technical advising and disability advocacy strategy for startups and tech companies in the healthcare and disability uh, space. So is it fair to say you do one or two things? Just a little bit. I don't. I don't have kids. My work is my children, and yes, I ground them and punish them just like a parent with kids. Yeah. Excellent. Good to hear. Um, well, listen. Thank you so much for, for talking to me because uh, it's, it's, it's actually, in a way, it's odd to meet a blind person at these events, yeah. which seems in some ways odd to say that uh, because, of course, technology now, as you know, is um, is so much more accessible to all of us. Yet we're still very much in the minority. Do you find that? I do find that. I kind of make it a habit when I approach a booth. I spend most of my time when I'm at these conferences at booths that have nothing to do with um, accessible technology. And I will walk up and one of the first questions out of my mouth is, is your product designed with accessibility in mind? Um, And I am so impressed this year with how many have considered it, how many have built at least some level of accessibility into their products. But there are so many who, you know, no, we haven't. That's a really good idea. So at least I'm running it up the chain, even if they're not the ones. Sometimes you can catch the CEO or the founder of a startup, but sometimes it's just putting a bug in somebody's ear. The other day I walked up to a booth and I said, is your product accessible? And she had to go away and ask, and she came back and she said, no, it's not. And that really makes me mad. I want to do something about it. I'm like, yep, good. I've planted the bug. I've started the fire. <laughs> it's interesting. So what, what's your experience been of people who... Uh, understand what accessibility means uh, versus having accessibility in the product? That's a really good question. Um, I have seen a lot of people who think accessibility means one or two things. means that the software talks, but maybe it doesn't have larger buttons, or means that um, the color contrast has been tested, but it's not labeled for screen reader use. So it's really interesting to see how people conceptualize what accessibility is in terms of the broader spectrum of disability. But it also is interesting to see what their... My background is in user experience, and so it's really interesting to see what people think in terms of usability versus accessibility and how they pair those two together. And you can really get a good sense of that just from 30 seconds talking to somebody about what they think the user experience of their product would be 
for somebody with disabilities versus have they done any testing? Have they done any sit-downs with people with disabilities to hear the actual user experience versus what they think the user experience might be? Yeah, the, the usability versus accessibility argument rumbles on, doesn't it? And it's it's a continual problem because people may say, well, we've made all the text large, but nothing speaks. Or, you know, it, it's wonderful, except that one button doesn't work. Uh, but, you know, that's okay. No, it's not. No, or they think that they have great created a great accessible product, but they've never put it into the hands of somebody who is disabled to prove that. Um, so I always say, you know, your product is accessible proof of concept until you have had people with various disabilities put their hands on it. And not just advanced users, but those who have very little tech experience. You need to make something, as we say in WCAG, you need to make something robust. Is it usable for a wide variety of people? And until you've done that, until you've put it into the hands of those who are not experts and who are beginners and who get very easily frustrated with technology, you don't know if your product's going to be solid enough to, to get out there and be ubiquitous and work. Okay, so what have you been uh, noticing here at CES 2020 uh, that you that has excited you? My step count for how you know many steps a day I can. <laughs> um, no, I'm really excited about, like I said, how many companies when I do approach them with that question of is your product accessible, how many companies do have an answer in the affirmative to some level of accessibility, and how many have had that discussion at their their. Uh, executive suite level and um, you know one of the things we constantly preach at the leadership level is that accessibility needs to be a leadership principle and so it's it's great to hear the CEOs the CTOs the CIOs saying yeah we, we have talked about accessibility in the C-suite we have talked about accessibility at the leadership level and so then my next question out of my mouth becomes are you employing people with disabilities at the leadership level of your company um, and that one is, is my next mission, mission statement. You, you need to be employing people with disabilities at a leadership level to continue to not just hold up accessibility as something you aspire to, but to see dis disability and accessibility walking hand in hand as a principle your company holds in high regard and implements at every step. So that becomes the next question out of my mouth is, is where are you hiring people with disabilities to be your lived experts? Does it surprise you that in 2020, uh, when we have had so much conversation around gender, sexuality, and the importance of listening to and talking to people who, you know, uh, you know, if we're going to discuss women's issues, we're not going to get a man in the room, um, you know, it makes sense to speak to the people relevant to the conversation. That doesn't seem to have filtered through with blind people, does it? No. Or disabled people, <laughs> arguably. No. Um we're still very much male-dominated in our tech field, uh, in accessible technology and in the blindness field in particular, it's still very heavily male-dominated. There are a few women in, in accessible technology. There are a few very loud, very strong women who are in this field, and we, we love them and hold them up loudly and proudly, but there's so much more to, to continue to do there. Um, and so much more conversation to be had around why we're doing that and why we have to, to be loud and be in the, the industry space about it. I don't necessarily want to be out there loud and proud. I want to just do my job. But until I get enough space to see that it's, you know, there are as many women as men excelling in this field, we have to be loud. Um, and so there's a, a lot of work to be done in terms of 
having some pretty open conversations about gender bias in the blindness community and uh, sexism and equality and, and equity. And what I have heard termed and what I really like is the term exclusive, inclusive mindset. So inclusion and diversity was this really, you know, big trend the, the past year or two. And now it's become kind of the exclusive thing. If you're talking diversity and inclusion, we're going to have this party and only you and you and you are invited. Well, now it's not inclusive. It's becoming exclusive because you're having the latest buzzwords. No, that's that's not how diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I like to add accessibility to that that roster there. Um, you know, that's not how this works. You You need to be open. You need to look at who's not at the table and you need to use sharp elbows to make space for them at that table. Do you worry at all about emerging technologies? I mean, we're seeing this year the rise of AI and AR and VR and all of the XR is a new one as well. Uh, There's so many of these new emerging trends that are going to be a massive part of our lives going forward. Do you worry that that we will be left out as disabled people uh, at some point or are you hopeful I'm both. I'm, I'm very hopeful, but I um, am very worried. And I do already see us getting left out or biased out, as I, I'd like to say. Um, if you think about, you know, how many times we have an AI product where we, somebody is deciding for us how our experience is going to look in the algorithm. For example, captioning of photos you know, if, if a photo shows some graphic content, uh, nudity or violence or something like that, is the AI description going to narrate that? Or is it going to say, quote unquote, you know, is the screen reader going to read out adult content? Um, or decide that there's something we don't need to know, such as there's some, some nudity in that picture, and I'm not going to tell you what kind of nudity, I'm just going to tell you there's nudity. Um, yeah, because blind people want to know what kind of nudity there is. I mean, come on. Right, like, I, I don't, you know, do I do I want to know specifics? Do I want explicit? Do I want, and I need to have control of that. I'm well, not That's a, a serious point, isn't it? You, you want to have choice, to know. Yeah, I want to know as much or as little detail of a picture as I want, not as an algorithm decides I should have. And so I need to be able to have that level of, of user control. And when an AI designer is filtering in what kind of content they think I should have access to, that's automatically curating my experience of, of life and deciding what type of human being I am, whether I'm a child, whether I'm an adult, whether I'm a... If you say, literally, if your image description says adult content, I lose all respect for your product right out the gate because... Um, I'm, I am an adult, last time I checked. I mean, you know, they might card me for a drink, but like, I'm an adult. I may be a blind adult, but I'm an adult. Don't don't tell me something's adult content and then decide that I don't deserve access to it simply because I'm blind. So it's, it's the efficacy of AI and all of that that you're concerned about? Ethics in AI, fairness in AI, and then discrimination in AI. You know, obviously, if you are a person of color, if you are a minority group, we have so much work to do in terms of providing AI in second, you know, other languages and the biases that are introduced with racial health care. Uh, racial inequity in healthcare is a massive issue with AI right now. Um, all of those things are, are things that I've been really, really passionate about for most of my career. And then intersectionality. When you have multiple disabilities or you are LGBTQ or you are um, a person of color or uh, another ethnicity, and you're interacting with AI, the vast majority of machine learning is done on a white male person. Um, that leaves out a lot of people and a lot of resources and a lot of knowledge that, that our AI needs today. 
um, and the Internet of Things needs, and we don't incorporate enough of that. So those issues are the ones that keep me awake at night and, and keep me in business. Those are where I advise and what I do for a living is, is advise companies on what are they leaving out in their algorithms. We're here at the Vespero stand, uh, and of course it is wonderful to be amongst all of this accessible technology and accessible companies that have come to CES. How important is that, do you think, for the other side of the conversation, for those people who don't understand disability, to see companies like this here? I think it's really important for them to have knowledge that there are companies that specialize in this. I was talking with Bill Kilroy, who's one of the sales reps for Vispero a couple years ago, and he said something that has always stuck with me. He said, you know, you're not going to see an ad for Jaws um, on the Super Bowl. It's never going to be that prevalent and it, it sparked a little fire in my head and I thought to myself why not that's that's you know the type of high profile thing that we need because we need to get into people's heads and we need to be that little bug in the back of their brain that goes disability is not in this equation why not where is it how do I do it um, and so how do I do it needs to become the question in, in 2020 that we're all asking um, where do I do it? How do I do it? Who partners with me? Who supports me? Disability feels daunting to a lot of these startups. It feels expensive. We are the quote-unquote expensive minority because making something equitable and accessible to us does involve an investiture of funds. Um, and that intimidates a lot of people out of doing it. And we also you know, have had so many legal news headlines about us. And it brings up that old disability adage, nothing about us without us. This Vispero booth is the nothing about us without us, you know, with with legs. This is what we look like. And being here loud and proud among other technology leaders says um, that we do have a voice and we do have solutions and it doesn't need to be something that intimidates people out of doing it. There are partnerships to be had here. Amazing. Sassy, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Stay tuned, lots more to come here as uh, we continue our review of CES 2020. That's coming up next on Double Tap Canada. This is a Double Tap Canada special from CES 2020 in Las Vegas. Stay tuned for more in moments. Now back to Stephen Scott at CES 2020. This is a Double Tap special. Hey, this is Double Tap Canada. It's Stephen Scott here with you. And uh, joining me on the line, we've got uh, Sean Priest and Tim Schwartz in their respective homes and sheds uh, <laughs> as they continue to join us for <laughs> CES 2020. You know, we couldn't prize. We couldn't prize Sean Priest out of that shed as much as we would have liked to. Um, I'm actually starting to think you can't get out of that shed. Uh, I think you've been stuck in there and you're just not telling us, Sean. <laughs> I don't want to come out. Plus, I'm too fat for the door. <laughs> Well, um, I have to say, what we're going to talk about later is probably not going to help because uh, we've got smart food to talk about coming up. Basically, I think what they've done at CES is every single thing you can think of, they've stuck the word smart in front of, and that is basically what they've done with everything because that's, that's all you see everywhere. It's like smart everything, smart toilets, smart bathrooms, smart chairs, everything's smart, except, obviously, us. So, um, let's talk about... Um, let's talk about... At sight loss, because interestingly, uh, this is one area uh, where technology is also making leaps and bounds, not just here in the US or in Canada, but also around the world and in, especially in those developing countries as well. Preventing sight loss is so important. Now, we all know this. 
we've all been there to some degree, uh, you know, whether it's been that you've been losing your sight, and we've talked about this on our show before. Uh, Tim and I have shared our stories, as have you, Sean, and it's really interesting to, to, to think about the idea that we might have known about or been able to prevent our sight loss. Now, of course, in our cases, that's not true because these were conditions that were going to come on and what was going to happen was going to happen anyway. But the point is that there are things you can do to prevent sight loss, uh, prevent certain types of, of sight loss as we grow old. The idea that, you know, as you grow old, as you grow old, your, your, your sight gets worse and that's just the way it is. That's just the way life is. It doesn't have to be like that. You can prevent sight loss. So there are things you have to do. But one thing that technology is enabling us to do is see inside our eyes more clearly. And by using the latest tech from a company called IQ, uh, we're hearing about new ways for people to be able to check the level of their sight, actually see how good their eyesight is. Um, if they think they're maybe short-sighted, how short-sighted they are. If uh, perhaps someone's colorblind, this technology can tell them that as well. And I thought it would be really interesting to find out more about it. So here we've got Paul Tapianko with us, who is uh, from the company IQ, to tell us more about this amazing product. Paul. IQ has been around for about four years, and we're based in California. And we try to empower uh, users to measure and track their vision. They can do it at home. They can do it at their convenience. And we think it's important for uh, people to track their vision, to measure, uh, and you basically take control of their health care. We still recommend that people see their eye doctor regularly. Um, however, for example, if you want to track your vision over time or your vision is changing very quickly, uh, in between those visits, track it on your own. Very interesting because th this is for everyone, isn't it? This is a, an app you can download, you can use. You don't have to be attending a, a doctor at this point in time. It can just be Correct. that you maybe have a bit of concern about your sight. Absolutely. You can do it with uh, for yourself or your family. You can actually track the health care of your family and be able to ensure that everybody has good vision. And if not, then again, make an appointment to see a doctor if you need to. So... How does it work? Do you download an app from the App Store and you just go for it? Are there instructions on screen? Yes. All of our devices uh, utilize your own cell phone and an app that you download. And we have a variety of devices here at the show. One checks your visual acuity and is a screener. So you can check if you're seeing well. You can also check if you're colorblind. And you also can check if you have contrast sensitivity. So contrast sensitivity, imagine you're driving on a foggy road and you see these silhouettes of people walking on the sidewalk. Well, that ability to detect those silhouettes is contrast. People without uh, contrast sensitivity don't even see those people walking on the side of the road, which makes it quite dangerous. Um, that's one device. Another device here actually measures the uh, type of correction you need for your eye in order to get um, good vision. So for example, uh, it'll give you the same numbers you might have for eyeglasses. And then we have another device here that measures your pupillary distance, so the distance between your pupils in millimeters. And that's also something that people will use if they're uh, ordering glasses, for example. So is this primarily built for the U.S. market, or are you thinking about emerging markets, potentially developing countries that don't have easy access to opticians and, and easy access to those people who, who you, know, you want to be able to check your site? Absolutely. In fact, when the company was first uh, envisioned, it was envisioned trying to supply healthcare for those that don't have access to it. That includes those outside the U.S., but interestingly enough, it, there are a lot of people within the U.S. as well. So we ship worldwide. 
We have uh, devices in over 87 different countries. Uh, and we are certainly growing in emerging markets as well. And it's interesting you said that in the U.S. it's important as well because there are many rural areas, places where it's very difficult to get easy access to any kind of medication, any kind of doctor. But it's so important, isn't it, that we check our eyesight regularly. Uh, we're told uh, in the U.K. where I'm from, we're told to go and get an eye test every two years. Um, and even that, for some people, wouldn't be enough. You're correct. What you've mentioned is exactly true. So in the U.S., uh, general recommendation is between one to two years, and that is depending on age, whether or not you have any comorbidities, like you're diabetic, things like that. Um, we always recommend that you follow those kind of rules in, in uh, going to doctor and checking your vision. But this actually increases the knowledge that you have when you go see that doctor. If I go to a doctor and I say, listen, I, I'm checking my vision and I think it might be a little bit off, that gives some more information to the, to the healthcare professional in helping aid your healthcare. Um, and again, for your entire family. Uh, with our devices, you can detect whether or not you need new glasses all of a sudden uh, versus uh, maybe somebody that's not wearing glasses, maybe you might need glasses. Um, this is more knowledge for you and your family. So for most people, this is going to return a good result. You're going to maybe get good news that, that all is well, that your, your fears are allayed. For those, though, that don't, for those that get perhaps bad news or surprising news about their vision, what does the app tell them to do? Um, the app essentially tells you what the measurement is and perhaps you might see, need to see a doctor. Um, it gives you that information. Correct. But because, it, because numbers to many people don't mean yeah, much. Do yes. They? So it'll tell you, for example, in our colorblind test, whether or not there's a lack of sensitivity to certain colors. It will tell you that. If there's con in our contrast sensitivity test, it'll tell you whether or not your contrast sensitivity is high, which is great, or maybe it's not so great. Um, and same thing with your visual acuity. It'll tell you whether you're 2020 or 6 over 6, depending on which country you're in, uh, or not. So all of this is 2020, most people know what that is. But certainly color uh, sensitivity and contrast sensitivity, most people will not necessarily know. Uh, however, our app will tell you. Okay, amazing. Paul, lovely to talk to you. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much. Wow, well, thanks for that, Paul. Yes, yeah, Stephen, these are the types of things that they may not be able to help us in our current situation with our sight loss, but sight loss prevention is such a big deal. And really just anything involving tracking your health and being able to help you just in everyday tasks, whether it's you know helping you with your eyesight or sight loss, whether it's helping with your health, you know steps or falling, especially people of a certain age, you will know, be interested in technology like this so they can check if their you know their eyesight is failing or their health in general is failing. And I know Sean, you had actually put up a couple articles on uh, Double Tap Thought Online uh, coming out of CES, a couple different things that can help us with our health and monitoring it. Yeah, that's right. And again, it's a convergence of various technologies. You know, all the research that's going on into the self-driving car sector has really helped in so many other areas. Uh, a lot like the iPhone and the smartphone really helps push miniaturization of cameras and battery research, you know. The self-driving car has really helped so many other technologies. Um, one of them was a really interesting one, actually. I think the company is called, I'm going to watch how I say this, but it's Vayar, V-A-Y-Y-A-R, uh, Imaging. Now, they do one called Vayar Home. Now, all this is is a sensor that you, you put on the wall in your home, 
And using um, radio frequencies, it's able to detect multiple people and it's able to map the environment. It can tell a person's location, their position, but more than that, it can tell their vital signs. So it can actually tell if someone is breathing or they stop breathing. Um, it can tell if someone falls over. It can monitor people's activity. So when they fall asleep, when they wake up, you know, if they're sleepwalking even. And these sort of sensors, and again, behind it, it's not just sensing that information, which in itself is amazing. Again, not using any cameras. So if it's in a steamy bathroom and you, you fall over in the shower, it, it's not obstructed the camera. You know, there is no camera there. So it can tell when you do that. Um, it's it's the intelligence behind it that analyzes that information and says hang on this is something that you, someone needs to be aware about you know someone falling over or um, trouble breathing um, it's it's analyzing that data so for me that was really interesting uh, again how this all works and it comes together is just so many technologies and uh, it's obviously something that can be useful not just in places like hospitals or nursing homes but if you have got problems with your balance or a sleep apnea or some sort of disability this could be really useful and it, you, people don't need to be uh, wearing any panic buttons or devices it's just a simple device on the wall that's constantly monitoring your position and your vital signs i mean how cool is that that's extremely cool and i love something like this just for all those practical uses you were talking about it goes back to that intelligence of things and of course as our minds usually do i think of people with blindness maybe even couples where both per, both people within the couple are blind or visually impaired and being able to get that information because you can't just glance at your partner and see that maybe they're having trouble breathing hopefully you could hear it if they're gasping or something but to get their vitals if they're not responding to you and you're not sure why they're not responding you know when you're trying to talk to them or get their attention you know having this type of intelligent technology again you said you know it doesn't have to necessarily use the internet it just is smart enough to detect these things this is the kind of technology that fascinates me. There was uh, something else that came out of CES this year uh, that I really enjoyed from Procter & Gamble. We were teasing about you know the idea of smart robots going and getting toilet paper and things, and that's all well and good and fun. But you know, I, I, the, the more important or the more impressive thing to me was they had something that was kind of, I guess you could say, a smart diaper in a way, which as a father, and my, my daughter's now seven, but when she was a baby, to have this device would have been kind of cool because what it does is it clips to your child's diaper. It's got a camera there and it will let you know if they are breathing or not, if they're you know rolling over in their crib and not breathing or if they have done something in their diaper and detecting that for you to let you know what's going on. Uh, so if you need to change them and, and tracks their vitals as well. And so to have something like that, especially for a blind and visually impaired parent, but any parent really, you know, whether you're blind or not, to get that kind of information about your child when you're you know you're sitting up at night freaking out yeah. uh, you know is my child okay are they breathing are they gonna be all right you know sleepless nights worrying about your kid and having a device like this that's smart enough to give you that information transmit it to an app and give you an alert you know change the diaper or your child to stop breathing or you know whatever it might be that is the kind of cool implementation yeah. of this intelligence uh, you know in the smart technology that I, I really really am looking forward to. Well, it's just, I mean, sensors like this, we've had for a long time now, but it's the amount of details that these sensors are able to collect. 
It's so oh, yeah. accurate, and I don't know if that is because of the, I don't know, an improvement in the sensing technology, or if it is the actual amount of computing power behind it that can analyze the data. You know, I'm not sure which is... A bit of both. Yeah, yeah. probably is. But, I mean, there's other, uh, another cool sensing technology was uh, presented by a company called, uh, I think it was called Elliptic Labs. Now, they were showing something where... Again, this isn't a new concept, but they had a lamp and it could detect a person's presence. So when you came into the room, it knew you were there and it could turn on or off. Again, I don't think that's anything we haven't seen before, but also using this technology, it was an ultrasound um, technology. It could detect gestures. So let's say for something like a smart speaker, if this technology was built into a smart speaker, it would adjust the volume depending how far away you were from it. And not only that, it could detect, and it's, it was talking uh, under like a, a millimeter in accuracy. So you, you could do gestures to control so many different things. And the examples that were shown, you know, a lamp and a smart speaker, people think, oh, okay, so I can stop and start music or the volume can adjust depending if I'm next to it or far away. Yeah, whatever. But when you think about the other uses for it it's all about giving us different ways to interact with a device you know and the more different um, interfaces that we get the more uh, options we've got for accessibility you know you don't have to press a button you don't have to use a keyboard you don't have to use your voice you can use any of these different ways you know you can just wave uh, your hand in the air or you can walk into a room or whatever so there's just so many it's all coming together, and that's, it's just an exciting time. Yeah, it comes back to that accessibility by accident. I think immediately when you were talking about that of people with fine motor skill issues or Parkinson's, people that are deaf or mute that may not be able to hear or speak, or, or, of, course, or of course those of us with blindness, you know, the more of these types of interactive gesture-based types of input that, that were offered, yeah, you're right, the, the accessibility of these type of devices just expands greatly. Yeah. Well, it's a very interesting line of technology and you know, really interesting hearing you guys talking about it from that point of view because one thing that, that stood out for me, and I haven't had a chance to actually visit the stand yet, but I am planning to, uh, because it's something we've talked about on previous shows and we've kind of laughed about, but I think it's actually very serious as well, is our ability to know ourselves. And what I mean by that is, our um, bodily functions and fluids often can be uh, challenging for blind people to know <laughs> what colour they should yes. be. Um, you know, we had this conversation before, remember? And you know, it was a really interesting conversation because you guys, yep. I think we all kind of thought we should really bring this up, but actually it's so important that we do because... Bring this up is, is a, probably a poor choice. A of wrong words. phrase for it, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Bring it up not that it down, yeah. yeah, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. But... But knowing the colour of whatever comes out of us actually is quite important and it could make the difference between knowing that you're healthy or not. And, of course, if you're blind, you don't know that. Well, here at CES, there are companies showcasing products that are sensors that are actually built into clothing, um, that are built into your your bathroom facilities even, uh, that can actually be there to tell you if something's not right. Now, I think that, that is really exciting. Because, you know, to, to know, for example, if you get an alert on your phone that says, look, maybe you want to head to the doctor because you might have some kind of urine infection or something. That's really important. You can capture that information, that you can capture that infection early, uh, you know, stop 
it becoming another problem down the line. So, you know, health is a really important area here uh, at CES, and smart technology is, is certainly a big part of that. But before we go, and I certainly will have put you all off your dinner by suggesting this, um, that conversation, but uh, <laughs> let's talk about food because it is one of my favourite pastimes. And um, it was really interesting to meet Julia here at uh, CES 2020. Uh, now, Julia is something that we're not really supposed to talk much about because her, uh, her story is kind of embargoed at the moment. So we can, all we can say, all I can get away with saying, is that uh, this is a new smart autonomous cooker uh, that you essentially chuck ingredients into, at least that's what I've been told. You chuck these ingredients in and it creates a meal for you. Um, not a microwave. It's not, um, it's not one of those, I think, Tim, you had said to me before in a message, uh, it sounds like one of those, what do they call them, the multi-cookers, that kind of thing. Like an Instapot. Instapot, yeah. multi-cooker yeah. Instapot, because that's basically what an Instapot does, is you throw the ingredients in and almost kind of like a crock pot, you just let it cook. But <sighs> this sounds more smart than that. Yeah, I mean, I think you can chuck in a lot more. And I say chuck in. I mean, I think there's probably a bit more involvement than that. Uh, but at least what it's about is it's, it's kind of in that middle ground between chucking a whole pile of ingredients in like the Instapot and the microwave where you put something in and perhaps with a barcode reader, it will scan it and then it will, it will cook it appropriately. It's somewhere in between. You know, so you may have potatoes and you may have some stew. Uh, so you put it into the device and it will cook the stew and potatoes accordingly because it knows how to cook them, uh, which is that nice middle ground between uh, what would be, uh, you know, just convenience food and, you know, quite involved cooking. So I, I kind of like the sound of this. But also... This is so difficult to talk about without... Talking about it, I know. <laughs> without having to say too much. We can't reveal too much, but it's, it's, I've got to say, when we can talk about it, I think this is, if it can do everything it says it can do, oh, this yeah. is going to be really yeah, exciting. Yeah, I agree. And look, we haven't even touched on smart glasses yet. We haven't even touched on all the other tech that is here at CES. There's so much. Um, but just on the, on the point of food, just, just before we go, I just want to say that plant-based foods are becoming a major part of conversation here at CES because the technology to create new plant-based diets and move away from uh, meat uh, and all of those things, that the effects, of course, on our environment are huge. And the reality is we have to find new ways of eating. Uh, but, of course, as uh, and Tim is, uh, is uh, I believe, the world's expert on this, uh, I'm not yet because I don't think it's in the UK or at least where I live. But trust me, I will be one day an expert on it. Uh, they have this thing called the Impossible Burger. Which, and what they've done is they've tried to create a burger out of plant-based produce that will not uh, taste like, I don't know, uh, a piece of cardboard. Plant. It will actually taste like <laughs> right. something. Yeah, and not like a plant, yeah. exactly. Um, but, but taste like something actually like a burger. Um, so it's really interesting to see that kind of technology. Here at CES, they are launching what's called the Impossible Pork Sausage. Uh, now, I'm all for a bit of sausage in my life, so I'm going to be trying that out here at uh, CES. So, um, yeah, lots more of that and, and lots more conversation to come. I believe that was the first question I sent you at the beginning of the week. Yeah, that's right. You did. You did. And uh, it's one of those things that I, I haven't gotten to it yet, and I'm not quite sure why. That's the, the truth of it. Um, but it's partly because this place is so ridiculously large that all I want to do is collapse somewhere and cry with coffee in my hand. Um, but it is, it's been an incredible event here at CES. And just to wrap up, because you know we, we have got a lot more conversation if you missed our first hour, check it out on the podcast. 
uh, you can listen to us on the podcast by searching for Double Tap Canada and of course you'll find all of the shows including our TV shows on AMI.ca and of course you can check out our website doubletap.online for lots more conversation and uh, articles as well and videos and extra content from CES uh, over the next week or so so uh, lots and lots to tune into and check out um, but guys just on a personal note I want to say this has been an incredible experience coming along to this it is such an amazing place I th- I'm so glad it happened in January because apparently the temperature in June and July heads up way past the 30s the 40s the 50s the 60s um, and onwards so yeah exactly so I don't, I'm quite happy to be here in what is currently in Celsius 15 degrees Celsius uh, with light wind and a bit of sunshine so it's been beautiful weather a great place uh, uh, it's been absolutely uh, wonderful being here and uh, the, the technology is astounding and I think the key takeaway for me is that we're looking here at the future essentially, we're looking at how 5G artificial intelligence and all of these new technologies are going to work into that uh, framework that we already have You know, how smarter will our homes be by the end of 2020, I think considerably I think the idea of a smart bulb will just be you know, we, we, we won't even talk about smart bulbs in the future. We'll just talk about bulbs because they'll all be smart and they'll all just do those things. Yeah. And I think what we're going to see is a normalization this year of smart technology. And, you know, if, if we all think back to maybe 2018, we didn't get much, res- there wasn't much response about smart tech, uh, especially smart home tech uh, following that particular CES that whole year seemed to go by with not very much interest in it because people didn't really understand it or understand how it worked. But now, I think the technology companies have really got a handle on how they're going to present this to the public because that's the key. I always say in my house it has to be wife-friendly. My wife has got to understand the technology and be able to use it. She's not a techie, she admits that, but she wants to use technology, but it has to make sense to her. She doesn't want to have to constantly put a code in to get something to do something. Uh, she wants it to just pick it up and make it work. And that's exactly what uh, this technology is starting to do. It's starting to move to a point where we're not thinking about how the technology works. It just works. And um, it's a really exciting time for tech. So, yeah, I've been really pleased to be here. Uh, thank you guys for spending a couple of hours with me as well. It's been good fun. And we'll get back to the studio next week. And I promise you guys, those of you who've been listening in every single week faithfully, you know, when are they going to get back to the practical stuff, the practical everyday stuff, and our emails and our voicemails? <laughs> All happening next week. So uh, check out the next episode of uh, Double Tap Canada for your fix on uh, all of the latest accessible technology news. Tim Schwartz, thank you once again, host of Life After Blindness. Thank you very much, Stephen. Thanks for having me here. And Sean Priest, from your shed of loveliness, I hope you find the way out. (laughs) Thank you. We'll catch you again next time for another Double Tap Canada. Check out lots more interviews and news from CES 2020 by visiting our website, doubletap.online. And keep tuning in on Tuesdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern for a special CES 2020 edition of Double Tap TV with Mark Aflalo and Stephen Scott. Catch you next time, Double Tappers. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. The Walrus is Canada's conversation, and you're invited to take part. Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus, where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. Available wherever you download your AMI podcasts.